Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on The Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode 27, One Does Not Simply, Large Gollum. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkien verse ahead. With that said, let's get into it. are uh, talking today about chapters five and six of the two towers, Window on the West and the Forbidden Pool. Everybody's hanging out by the pool this summer, and Gollum is no exception to that. Um, And uh, we also have a special guest today. My friend Emil is uh, here with us. And Emil, uh, do you want to start us off uh, the way that we do with all of our guests by telling us a little bit how you got into Lord of the Rings, when that happened for you, what lit your fire about it? Um, yeah, um, my intention here is to give the most dramatic answer to that question I can possibly muster. Okay, so one, two, three, Lord of the Rings saved my life. Tell us so much more. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I came to Lord of the Rings, like, so I spent, I've spent, I spent a lot of time in prison and I spent a lot of time in uh, juvenile, like, youth facilities and it, like, my childhood and my adulthood I was like grew up in prison and Lord of the Rings and like beyond that like fantasy fiction in general was like one of those things that got me through it um it was also one of those things that um you know that I like the the kind of like themes of like honor and integrity that like perhaps aren't real in the real world but to a kid growing up in like prison can seem real like kept me very grounded in a way that I think that you know not everybody had access to um it also like started my lifelong love of fantasy which is like when I became a writer the first thing that like I started writing which you know ultimately like led to me getting out of prison uh so it's, 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 it's only slightly hyperbolic that, like, Lord of the Rings saved my life. <laughs> my God, that's so much better of a reason to start a Lord of the Rings podcast than ours. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you guys are way too good at this. I love y'all show. <laughs> All right. Uh, oops, uh, guys. So we were recording this last week. Um, sudden, sudden jump into the future, uh, because we, we ended up actually, wow, the way I'm saying this doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, long story short, uh, everything that you just heard, if you're listening to episode 27, um, is part of the first time that we recorded this episode. Um, unfortunately, everything beyond this point, we lost a lot of the audio. So we decided to come back and record it again. Um, so now you're you're coming with us into a, a world of the future, one week in the future when we're recording this for the second time, uh, and we are saying that in seg- in lieu of a segue uh, to just jump into the discussion. Can I can I can I try a rundown of the chapters? Can I try to see if I can if I can like walk through a summary? Because I haven't read it either, and I don't know how much I've retained. But maybe we can piece it together together. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There is a uh, Frodo and Sam meet Boromir's brother, I think it's Faramir, uh, and 
Faramir is basically sneaky interrogating uh, uh, Frodo about uh, what are you doing out here? What happened with my brother? Knowing that his brother's dead, but it's un- but sad, but like, but Frodo doesn't know he's dead yet. Um, and basically, I'm trying to uncover all of Frodo's secrets. And, and this happens outside of the special like home base, right? He caught him, and he's like, you know, anybody in this land, like I have leave to kill, basically, uh, which is problematic for so many reasons. And um, and Sam kind of got mad at the interrogation of like Frodo, but that's like that was Formula's response to him, like, look, like you're lucky you're alive, and like let your master talk. You're not like on our level yet. And uh, so they 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 sparred back and forth about uh, Frodo's travels. Formula was finally satisfied that uh, Frodo wasn't lying to him, and he says, okay, we're gonna take you to our secret like hideout base, but we have to like blindfold you. Uh, they take him to the secret hideout place. Also, he stops the conversation because he's kind of see where the story of Boromir is going, and he's like, "That's not something we want to say in public." Um, so they get to the special hideout place, which is behind a waterfall, badly described by Tolkien, except for like the rainbow colors. And then we just are given to assume like there's a cave here, um, where they sleep, they eat, they continue the conversation. Uh, Formula kind of uh, uh, like Sam let slip that like there was a that they have the ring that they're carrying the ring to Mordor to uh, destroy it. Uh, Faramir is like you know I wouldn't touch the ring with a ten foot pole. You're safe. It's good. Uh, He finds out finds out more of the details of Boromir. Uh, Everything seems to be good until they wake up or woken up and taken to the pool and shown Gollum and then Frodo has to like fool Gollum into coming with him. Uh, which he does, uh, he feels bad about it, and then uh, Formir releases Golem to Frodo, on, like kind of on Frodo's recognizance. All right. uh, they talk about the elves, they talk about Gandalf, there's this process of like Frodo getting credibility because of who he knows and who he's met, um, and then uh, they're at the end of the chapter, they're heading out to this very spooky place that Golem's trying to lead him to, that Formir is like, that place ain't cool. Golem is trying to do something bad. I wouldn't do this. And Frodo's like, what other option do we have? And so he's like, all right, you can like walk around our, sh- we can, you can walk around this area for a year. Uh, after that point, uh, my doom expires. And then uh, you will meet by another definition, your doom, if you see around here. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the run of the chapter I remember. That was a fantastic recap. I was going to say, that you. was very comprehensive. <laughs> I mean, I think we spent a lot of the episode last time actually talking about Faramir and, and kind of dunking on him a little bit. Um, so I don't know if I want to, like, go back into all the details, but do you guys want to do a quick, like, pros, pros and cons rundown of, of Faramir as a character? Yeah, I don't actually remember our dunks that much. I remember a lot of, um, at least in our notes, we were like we were very pro Faramir because we felt like he had a lot of the same characteristics that we'd been waiting to see in Aragorn. Like he's he seems a little bit smarter, uh, and we enjoyed the fact that he actually explains why he's doing stuff, and isn't really isn't really talking about his lineage so much. He's more he's like a little bit more self-effacing, to the point of being almost like he's been he seems like very cynical to me in a way 
Did any yeah. of you guys? Did any also, of you guys get that impression? Yeah, I mean, huge pro in my book for Faramir is that like so far he's the only person who has at all demanded proof that Aragorn is who he says he is. <laughs> like, there is a moment where Frodo says, "Yo, real king of Gondor has come back," and Faramir's like, "Yeah, we'll see about that when we when we get back to Gondor." We got, you know, there are ways we can check this. But thank you for not just believing this guy <laughs> right out the gate. Um, he seems like a little bit more practical than most of the characters we've seen. But Khan, in my book, the way he treats Sam is like whack in these chapters. It is mm-hmm. just really like he talks down to him the whole time. He is constantly just like back in your place, servant. And it's it's not great. Um, he's definitely not, uh, like, you want to like him, but then he does things and you're like, can you not? <laughs> yeah, Faramir has, like, a lot of really good ideas, but uh, among them is not equality or democracy. I feel like no. that definitely lives in the con world with me, uh, is, like, you know, his politics. Like, I would say his pro is, like, he's kind of modeled on, like, a King Solomon character. Like, he's wise, he's slow to anger, he talks it out, he reasons it out. Um, uh, his con is basically, he's also modeled on, like, a benevolent, like, Caesar-like dictator, right? It's like, I have inhuman amounts of power, uh, but I use it responsibly, and so that's okay. You can trust me with it, right? It just leaves unquestioned this larger political system that, um, that like he's 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 bought, he's bought into, uh, which isn't quite his fault or Tolkien's fault, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and then I feel like in classic Ashani fashion, I'm rolling in, being like, I don't like him. Um, no, that's not true. I, no pros. I, the pro. The pro is that he's hot and, like, <laughs> arguably is definitely more even-tempered than many of the other characters we have met this to, up to this point. He's arguably pretty willing to share information in a way that, like, elves are not able to do. Um And so he has some positives, I think. But then I look at... So much of his quote-unquote wisdom seems like it's superficial in some ways, that at the very least we have to look at some of the decisions he makes seem to be on the basis of his own understanding of the world. That as soon as he identifies Frodo as being like upper class and even I think the word that gets used is elvish in manner. He's like, oh yeah, I can trust you with all of our secrets and I don't need to blindfold you when you're coming back down from this secret cave. And like, yeah, I know I just said it's punishable by death, but no, it's all good for you. And and then we also have to look at the fact that he takes that worldview of like some people are inherently better and more trustworthy than others just by the way they present themselves and look at the way he talks about like other humans and oh boy there's some some big yikes there mm. right and i remember that being something that i had talked about last time because i do feel really strongly about it and i do think that somebody can be benevolent and well-meaning and also 
incredibly toxic in his worldviews. And that's kind of how I feel about Faramir. Well, Faramir's, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he's, he seems like he's like a, like the smartest guy coming and going in Gondor is the impression that I get from Faramir. And like, to the extent that he's like, that he's smart, he's like spouting kind of this learned wisdom about what, uh, what the history of Gondor is. Like, when he talks about how, uh, like, Gondor, like, the kings of Gondor, they fell into kind of this this kind of fugue state because they wanted to be immortal. And then the stewards took over the throne and they gifted a bunch of land, too, and made an alliance with the Rohirrim. Like, he's talking about that. And then he goes into this weird screed where he, like, basically ranks the people. And he's, like, Numenor on top, then Rohan... Then, like, it's a ways down, and then you get, like, the wild men in the Haradrim and um, the Southrons. Um, so he ranks the people, and that's that's kind of fucked up. But it doesn't seem like he's, like, I'm, I'm Faramir, and these are my original ideas. It seems like that's something that's, like, the, the result of him studying, right? Did you guys get that same impression? It like- definitely feels like he is a product of where he comes from and who he has been raised by like i mean look i know we haven't met his dad yet but his dad objectively sucks and so (laughs) if you if you have a dad like that you know you're gonna have some daddy issues and you're gonna have some worldviews that are kind of messed up and he also just strikes me as like somebody who is a who, who like his worldview is also being shaped by the fact that he's like constantly basically on a suicide mission where he's just like holding off the orcs on the border of Mordor with like this small ragtag group of rangers the border it's <laughs> yeah the border oh, of Mordor no. stop uh, <laughs> no continue please <laughs> no yeah i mean i think like he's he's in this perpetual state of i mean not to overuse the word doom but you know doom and it's kind of made him into like this weird philosopher character who is just constantly like oh like all you know all kingdoms must fall all races must end here's the order they're gonna end it I hate that as you were saying that I just immediately had this image in my head of like the white frat bros who took like ancient Roman history in college <laughs> and were like, guys, this is so deep. And I'm like, you have never had to examine your own privilege, sir. You mean like when um, you guys took ancient Roman history in high school? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, genuinely, like I took it once in high school and then I took it once in college. And the difference in perspective, because in high school, like I had not done a whole lot of examining of privilege at that point like I will fully admit I was a little twit of a teenager and the difference is of like time and experience and exposure to other people and other worldviews that I think by the time I took it at like age 22 was very different from when I took it at age 17 like there is really a difference and that's the part where I'm like you're right Faramir comes to this and it's pretty clear he is the product of like all of these expectations and the weight of history and his dad and like what he's been exposed to and it's also really clear that like he hasn't had to 
challenge that worldview that Gondor sits at the top and everybody else is below him because that's he sits near the top of Gondor. Like, why would he ever want to interrogate that worldview? It works for him. I feel like that's why I don't want to quite give him a pass, right? It's because I, I, I hear that, like, he's a product of, like, you know, his environment or his teaching or what has been passed down to him. Um, but like, 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 like Ashani says, he also is satisfied with that worldview. And of course he's satisfied with that worldview. He's at the top of it, right? Like he's the son of the, of the, of all, by all practical definitions, he's the son of the King of Gondor, right? Um, uh, they don't hold that a title. They don't hold that, that position officially, but they are the rulers. And so, yeah, why would he interrogate that? He doesn't have to interrogate that. He doesn't want to interrogate that. And so I feel like I can at once acknowledge that, yeah, this is systemic what we're talking about. You came up in mm-hmm. a culture that taught you this. And it's like, you know, you don't want to know, right? You don't want it. You don't want to <laughs> question it. You don't want to challenge it because you sit at the top of it. Yeah, he's like, I mean, I was going to say, like, one pro that you could come back with is that he's not exactly, like, one of those people that is, that just, I'm speaking so badly today, but he's not one of those people that's just, like, he's not just kind of following orders blindly, right? He departs from protocol a couple times in these chapters when he, uh, when he spares Frodo and Sam's lives, when he spares Gollum's life, despite Gollum hanging out by the Forbidden Pool, so he's like he's willing to take some risks, but it's kind of like within within some very safe boundaries. He's not we haven't seen him yet like risk his life to disobey his father or his king, right? He's not he's not taking big risks and if anything he kind of strikes me as like like a cynical guy who's not really who's just kind of he's just kind of doing things in a cynical way, right? Like he's not he's got this world view and he's I mean why would he why would he challenge it, right? Like, what would that, what would that even mean for him to do that? Yeah, it feels yeah. like, like both of those things are spot on. Where he's not, he's not Boromir, right? He's not someone who does what he is told and basically is just exactly who the product of you know how he's raised would make him to be. Um, but he's also like. I, I agree with you, Emil, that he's not asking enough questions to for us to give him like total credit and be like, "You're a good guy." I guess I I guess I want to push back on the idea that like I need I don't need a character to I'm not invested enough in these characters to care like whether they are like asking the right questions, but I do care that the book seems to like them th- these characters a lot. The book seems to like Faramir quite a bit. Um, would you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's clearly supposed to be, uh, like, I think I said this last time, and I don't remember exactly how I arrived at this conclusion, but I think I said that Faramir feels like Tolkien writing himself into the book as a character, as, like, the one he wants to be and the one who should be liked. Um, and, again, not quite sure how I got to that conclusion, but it felt right at the time. Um, but I do think, yeah, that... First of all, the physical description, right? He's obviously obsessed with, like, tall, fair men with gray eyes being, like, the epitome of of men being good-looking, which <laughs> he's not wrong. Faramir like, thinks all the things that I, J.R. Tolkien, believe. Also, he happens to be really hot. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, does anyone actually have gray eyes? Is this a thing? I don't think I've ever met anyone with gray eyes. Sometimes people I have like, like blue eyes that look gray. It's like very pale yeah. blue. Yeah. All right. Like it, it feels like a thing that should be hot, but I also can't imagine what it should <laughs> no, be. Wanda, no, your Wanda, eyes you are don't have gray blue. eyes. <laughs> are you, Wanda, actually Faramir? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pair I'm a paraphernalia. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. I mean like I I also think that yeah, like the it's hard to really pin down what it is about the text that seems like it it gives a hard endorse to Faramir, but it definitely does. Despite the fact that like he's not kind of like I said about Sam in the last couple chapters, like he's not staking out like claims that are all that impressive or bold right he doesn't he's he is anti he's anti-machismo but he's like definitely pro-war and um not that i'm not like pro-war in a situation when like sauron's marshalling troops to kill you but like he's he's still like he's he is for keeping things exactly as they are like he's kind of like i want i want us to go to war so that we can go back to the good old days where Numenorians were like god kings on this earth and everybody else kind of were just, you know, uh, these client states. Um, and I don't think, like, I mean, that seems like a very traditional British Empire kind of feeling or, like, way of looking at things. So it, it uh, yeah, it's not like, it's not like a really hard radical stance that I can get behind and be like, yeah, this is my king. Well, he has the cheat code, right? He refuses the ring, which is the cheat code in these books for this is a character that is really great. Because, you know, we yeah. get Tom Bombadil does it. We get um, Aragorn does it a couple times. And it's really just Tolkien's shorthand for this person is good because they don't want the ring. Yeah, but I also think there's an element of not quite hypocrisy, but almost to, I mean, maybe it is right to the way that he actually says, and this is the yikes, right? Like this idea of, oh, and although like the Rohirrim have become more like us in arts and gentleness, we have also become more like them and can no longer lay claim to the title of high. And that's, I'm not looking at the book, but that's a near exact quote. I'm pretty sure <laughs> nobody fact check me, um, but I'm pretty sure. Like, clearly meant a lot to you for you to memorize. <laughs> I did the same thing as Emil, where I read it and then I talked about it, and now I remember it forever. Um, but like genuinely, right? It's like okay, so you're sitting there going like war is important and we have to be defending these borders, but also like war is bad and I should be able to go back to like my arts and my philosophy because people who care about war are horrible and people who care about martial prowess are like less good humans and i mean my dude get over yourself yeah i, I was thinking about what ashani said about like you know the roharan are like quite not as uh quality because they're warlike and we've become less quality because we've like descended from the heights of intellect into like the dirty pits of of warfare and it reminds me of this um of this uh, uh, this essay I read by uh, this guy uh, Torres Maldonado, like he's like dope, but he writes on coloniality and like the impact of colonialism, and he talks about white supremacy, like 
quite bluntly and like one of the components in ways that that's like a tool of white supremacy is is the whole dehumanization through intelligence thing like there's this way in which mm -hmm. a lot is justified in the system of white supremacy based on a person's assessment of their intelligence or other people's intelligence right um and that's another place where Fred Romero kind of rubs me wrong. It's like, yeah, he's portrayed as this very intelligent person, and that gives him the right or the supremacy to, like, you know, unquestionably, like, make these decisions and make the concessions he wants and, like, be accountable to no one. Uh, and, but that whole description of, like, a race that is, like, less than because they are less intelligent, like, just falls so squarely within the models of, like, white supremacy logic that is just another one of those kind of things that just kind of ticks me off about the entire worldview of the world. <laughs> well, he's also assuming yeah. that, like, you know, races that are more, or, are like, they elevate their warriors to a higher status, that the reason that they do that is because they think it's fun or something. They're just like, <laughs> woo, yeah, war, which Shit's is almost nickel. definitely not the case, right? I mean, if a society elevates their warriors to a high status is usually because like they have to defend themselves a lot and so the warriors have a very important job in that society and it's weird for him to just be like yeah we totally like annexed this land of Rohan and are constantly kind of invading their borders and you know the wild men are totally trying to defend themselves but isn't it wild how they keep like wanting to go to war it's, it's nuts they're, they're yeah I don't know what's going on there and it's like okay come on dude you how can you not see this double standard where you're doing the exact same thing with your border in Mordor right now, right? I can't stop saying Mordor. <laughs> I mean, I, d I would definitely offer the analogy of like, I feel like the, I, I did like that analogy you gave and it reminded me of sometimes like how I think of people's conversations of like crime and crime and punishment and quote unquote criminality. And I often have this impression that do you imagine people are in the streets committing crimes and like selling drugs because they think it's fun? Like there is this narrative that like people are just, it's a rush. They just, they need the address. Like crime is hard and dangerous. No one's like voluntarily doing that, right? So you gotta ask, like you, you create this society with these pressures that people are resorting to committing crimes because they feel like that's their best option. And then you have like a fair mirror narrative about like how they're less than because it's like, you know, they're, they're doing like low activities. It's like people aren't committing crimes because it's for kicks. One of the interesting things, if I can like, if I can make a little bit of a topic leap for a second, um, I think the book is not, God damn it. Why can't, why can't I make sentences today? Um, I might need you guys <laughs> to help with this one, but it's like kind of a continuation of this idea that like the, the, the books are kind of really endorsing Faramir, like the, like do on the one hand like there's this like we can look with kind of a sense of like realism at like the gondor and rohan dynamics and go like oh yeah like like the rohirrim are a very warlike society hmm wonder why that might be J.R.R. tolkien and like d like try to like dunk on tolkien that way but on the other hand like it is a fictional universe and he has like tolkien has created a world where he can just go no, like, these are just a more warlike people just because they are. And I think that that's what, like, the books do this over and over again, where, like, you'll be reading them, and your attempts to kind of, like, reason out the world just don't work, because at a certain point, it's, Tolkien just kind of just keeps mythologizing and creating over any kind of 
logic, if that makes sense. I think there actually is something in the text about it, that they are descended from different branches of, like, early people, or, like, right, there were, like, there was something in the books about, like, okay, and then this person's, like, lineage basically became the Numenorians, and this person's lineage became, like, mm-hmm. other people. And so we can kind of, I mean, it really does, I think, come down to, like, bloodlines and genealogy in a way that is, you know, uh, yeah. sure is a thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> a little, a, a little whiff of <laughs> eugenics, right? Like, <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's textual. I, I'm. But basically what he talks about is like, ah, uh, yes, okay, so the Rohirrim are similar to us because they came from one of these same three houses, not the person who was the forefather of the Numenorians, but from basically a less cool cousin. Yeah. And so I think you can kind of follow like, okay, the people who are related to us are almost as good and the people who are like our direct blood are best and the people who aren't from that bloodline are less intelligent less capable just less i i don't does he actually say that they're like less though or is are we reading into the fact that they are at this moment fighting on the side of Mordor and the like literal enemy that they're at war against and that's why they have this you know like this perception that they don't like them uh I mean he talks about the high the middle peoples and the men of darkness and he says specifically like we have become more like the Rohirrim and can scarce claim any longer the title high we are become middlemen as a result of becoming more, more like, it's a pretty yeah, clear. Like, I think you'd have to stretch is, to say that's not, not a ranking, right? <laughs> like at that point, it's he's not going. And these people are the best, and these people are almost as good. These people suck, but he's yeah. Uh, no, I basically I, saying look, that. I was trying to maybe like give him some some benefit of the doubt, but uh, it's. It's not great. It's not, and putting <laughs> men of darkness at the bottom of that of is just like, oh, yikes, 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 yikes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. You could have gone for high, middle, low, but no. High, middle, darkness. <laughs> great choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. And to have Faramir be, like, the emissary of all of this, right? Like... That we, it, unless you're reading the Silmarillion, um, you're getting all of this like history basically from Faramir, right? Like he's he's not just a person with his own opinion; he's like sharing the history with you. Yeah, maybe maybe it's like maybe it's no comfort at the end of the day um, to feel like oh, like this is just kind of like you know you can only resist the mythology to a certain point because the mythology because the mythology is obviously coming from the mind of a white man, a white British man who had an entrenched interest in, um, in ranking the races. 
um, both in the real world and in his mythological world. I think the thing that, that I draw comfort from is not in there being like a like a backdoor. To, I do draw comfort from it, but not in there like being a backdoor to be like you know, there's a there's a there's a neat way to put this together where we can like hold two things in like two separate conversations and don't have to collapse them, right? But my comfort is in like being able to uh, name a like. Like, like white supremacy as we know it today is built on a mythology, right? That like until like the la- that up until like 15 years ago isn't even something that was much questioned. Um, and being able to deal like square on with the consequences of that, which are like, man, there are things we love that are deeply problematic, right? And we can see that they're problematic, but like being taught to love something is being taught to love something. Like that, that's what we, you got to know that like that is what we're trying to dismantle. Like that is what we're fighting. It's that, com- it's that compelling and it's that complex. And until we're having conversations like that and on that level, like we're like, we're basically fighting with our hands tied behind our back. But like when we can be like, when we can like just straight out have the conversation and like lay it all out and it doesn't have to look or feel pretty, and we can be uncomfortable, um, I think that that gives me a lot of hope for like our ability to be able to actually uh, build a, <laughs> a new mythology or like a new world or a new values system or a new way of like relating to story and creating story. We got we to gotta end on that. That's like the perfect ending. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's my episode, Navia, and I agree. Um, can we do a quick fire? Is that okay if we do that? Uh, all right, let's, let's start. Navia, you go first. (laughs) So, um, my quick fire is actually credit to Wanda for, for finding the core of this, but we get some description, some more description of Gollum in this chapter, and it's bizarre. Um, he's described as a black squirrel and then like a really big black squirrel and <laughs> just just it's all over the place and apparently this was so confusing for artists who tried to render Gollum for illustrated versions of Lord of the Rings that there are just some absolutely incredible interpretations of of Gollum and the best one is uh one that Wanda found from the Swedish illustrated version of the Hobbit uh, in which, I mean, we'll post this image to the Twitter when we actually release this episode, but it can only be described as a huge golem. Um, it's, it looks like gritty. It's massive. Like it's three or four times the size of Bilbo in the same image. What is going on? It's gritty coming out of the well to shame mankind. (laughs) On that, uh, on that same topic, I'll do my quick fire, which is that we actually this is these chapters are actually very Gollum heavy. Um, it's a weird way to say that after what we just talked about, but uh, we there's a lot of Gollum in these chapters, and we didn't really talk about it at all this time. Um, but uh, people should know these are also the chapters where uh, Frodo, in Gollum's mind, betrays Gollum, and their relationship takes a big turn. So. Uh, if you notice that we left that out, don't worry. We'll be coming back for that in the next episode. Uh, Emil, you want to go next? 
Yeah, my, 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 my hot take is also about Golem. And I remember reading and liking the part uh, where, like, they were, they had Golem and they were talking about whether or not they were going to execute him. And he kind of, like, called them out in a way that was just... I, I don't know how to place it or where to place it or what Tolkien was going for, but, like, Golem is the monster figure, the, like, bad guy, clearly, in the depiction of the story. But he says to Faramir when he discovers that, like, they're contemplating whether to kill him because he was fishing in the Forbidden Pool. He was like, oh, how just and wise you must be that you're just going to, like, execute a person because he was fishing in a pool, right? And I just <laughs> thought that was, like... The only ring of, like, justice in that conversation came from, like, the supposed monster character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he speaks up. That is, that is a great well. line. Uh, well, speaking of ring, my quick fire is something else that I think we talked about briefly last time but didn't get mentioned today, which is that Faramir has basically already put together the logic of what Frodo is carrying. And Sam really beats himself up for letting slip that Frodo is carrying the one ring. But Faramir has already said that he suspects Isildur's bane is something that Isildur took off of Sauron's hand. And I'm just going to bring back the hot take of the wristwatch of power because I really like the idea that there could be anything else other than a ring that Isildur would have (laughs) taken off Sauron's hand and that some hobbits would have just been lugging around all this time. Like, I... Maybe it's Sauron's actual <laughs> finger itself. That <laughs> oh god, oh that's horrifying! Sauron's fingernail of doom, like <laughs> his de- his detachable finger, his bone knuckle, his uh, bone knuckle of doom. Yeah, <laughs> or well, it's like some a horrifying food. turn that I wasn't expecting. Some chips. Why would he have food on his? On his it was just hand, like though. he was just like eating a donut while in battle, <laughs> and his elder just took it. the powder donut of power. <laughs> he has one of those like really weirdly elaborate pieces of like hand jewelry with like the chains and shit, and they're just like I yeah, always wanted one of those. Fancy. What are those for? They look really cool. <laughs> Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Wanda. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, Emil, and all our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or review on whatever platform you listen to.